Clancy Pasta presents Blackbird, written by Sammy Scott. My appointment with Dr. Masterson was at 9am on Monday morning. He called me into his office, a warm smile on his face as I stepped by him. He smelled lightly of expensive cologne, and his thin frame, high forehead, and wire-rimmed glasses reminded me very much of my father, which probably helped to explain my immediate ease with him. That, coupled with his warm voice, always managed to put me a little more at ease. The comfortable black leather chair threatened to swallow me as I sank into it. It was placed in front of Dr. Masterson's desk, a huge black beast that stood guard in front of a row of impressive, orderly bookshelves. I placed my purse in my lap, hiking it like a pillow, as Dr. Masterson sat in an identical leather chair across from me. I appreciated the fact that he did not sit behind his desk, which would have served as a literal separation between him and his patients. Instead, there was nothing between us except air and an ornate rug. The setup invited easy conversation. He flipped open a notebook and clicked a pen, smiling lightly at me. And how are you doing this morning, Molly? I'm doing okay, I said, returning his smile with a little reluctance. He made a note on his pad. Good, he said. You do seem a little lighter today, I have to say. I am a bit, I said. Any particular reason why, he asked. Yes, I said, breaking eye contact with him and looking at the bookshelves to my right. It's a little silly, I guess, but... I had this dream last night. It was so vivid and peaceful. My dreams are normally upsetting or frightening. You know that, but this one was nice. And it was particularly special because it was about my mom. Ah, he responded, making another note and nodding with approval. My cell phone buzzed in my purse. I pulled it out and silenced it in one quick motion. Sorry, I said, dropping it back into the bag. But yeah, the dream was great. It was like she was with me again, and we could just talk. It was so real. I was a little bummed when I woke up and realized it was all a dream, but mostly it made me feel really peaceful. I can't remember the last time I woke up feeling even a little positive. Before the accident, definitely. It was like having a chance to talk to her all over again. Dr. Masterson continued to write in silence. I fidgeted a bit while I waited for him to respond, using my left index finger to trace the spider web of scars across the back of my right hand. I curled my fingers, feeling a familiar ache. It made me wish that that would happen more often, you know? I mean, I know I can't bring her back, but even just seeing her again in a dream like that more often would be, you know, nice. Dr. Masterson stopped writing and regarded me for a moment, a nearly imperceptible smile on his face. He seemed to be studying my face. Eventually, he took a deep breath and said, It's very interesting that you brought this up this morning, Molly. How so? I asked. I have recently introduced a new program to my practice, he answered. I call it dream therapy. It's essentially a combination of mild sedatives, hypnosis, and a controlled sleeping environment, as well as a few other proprietary procedures. 
Together, they allow the subject to enter into a deep dream state, but one that allows for more control over the content of the dream itself. I sat forward in my chair, my thumb still rubbing the back of my aching hand. Like I said, it's a new concept, but I've used it to allow patients to revisit moments in their past that bring them particular happiness, or to relieve, if only for a moment, an event that they wish could have had a different outcome. Lame patients can dream of running, or even flying if they want to. It provides a temporary controlled respite from reality. In your case, it would allow you to see your mother again. I'm in, I said without hesitation. Dr. Masterson chuckled lightly. You need to understand that this is a new procedure, not covered by insurance, and it's still in its experimental phase. But I think you would be an ideal candidate. Dr. Masterson, I said. I'm in. About an hour later, I walked to my car feeling lighter than air, a glossy brochure clutched in my hand. A pretty blonde woman with perfect teeth smiled from the cover, the words dream therapy floating above her head. The tagline, dream of a better today, appeared at the bottom. Right now we only offer dream therapy sessions once per week, Dr. Masterson had explained to me. I want to be careful about my patients becoming too reliant on the therapy itself, not to mention the drugs involved that induce sleep. The last thing I want to have happen is for the patient to enter the controlled dream state so frequently that they begin to lose their grip on reality. As inviting as it might be to sleep and dream whatever you'd like to dream on a nightly basis, one must stay grounded in reality, otherwise it would do more harm than good. My first session was scheduled for Thursday a frustratingly long three nights away. I was to arrive at Dr. Masterson's office at 8.30pm with an overnight bag and anything else I thought I might need for the night. The morning after, I would have a follow-up therapy session with a doctor to see how the night had gone. Assuming all was well, future weekly appointments could be scheduled from there. That Thursday, I pulled my car into the dark parking lot of Dr. Masterson's office building. It was empty, save for three other cars. I killed the engine, grabbed my duffel bag from the passenger seat, and walked toward the front doors. A woman I recognized as Dr. Masterson's receptionist, Ileana, approached from the other side of the glass, smiling warmly and unlocking the doors and pushing one open to let me in. I walked past her, and she pulled the door closed and locked it behind me. She led me to the elevators, but instead of going up to the second floor where Dr. Masterson's office was located, we went down to the basement level. After a short walk down a dimly lit hallway, Ileana opened a door for me, revealing a small room with a full bed, a desk with a chair, and a coat rack in one corner. There was a painting on the wall, a small house with a white picket fence, and a nicely manicured lawn, a black and white puppy romping after a large rubber ball. I tossed my duffel bag on the bed and turned to face Ileana, who was standing in the doorway. I noticed a small camera tucked into the top left-hand corner of the room. Dr. Masterson is on his way down, Ileana said. Go ahead and change into whatever you would like to wear to sleep. There's a bathroom across the hall if you need to use it. The camera is off. She ducked out of the room and shut the door. I shed my clothes quickly and changed into a pair of gray sweatpants and a soft black t-shirt, both thicker and less revealing than what I typically wore at home but I was more interested in modesty than anything else. 
I rolled up my other clothes and stuffed them into the duffel bag, which I placed on the desk, and then I sat on the bed and stared at the picture on the wall. Soft music began to play in the room, dulcet tones that were soothing but without any kind of perceptible melody. There was a light knocking at the door, and Dr. Masterson walked in, smiling, leaving the door open behind him. He handed me a small plastic cup that was three quarters full with a clear liquid. Drink this, he said softly, his voice even quieter and more soothing than usual. I swallowed it without question and handed the cup back to him. The concoction was both slightly bitter and cloyingly sweet. Go ahead and lie down, he said. And I turned, pulled back the covers of the bed, and slid in. Dr. Masterson sat on the bed beside me. Ileana entered behind him, pushing a small metal cart on wheels, on top of which was an electronic console covered with dials and lights. Dr. Masterson retrieved several electrodes that were attached to it, half a dozen clear suction cups connected to white wires, and gently attached them to my temples, forehead, and neck. We will be monitoring your vitals while you sleep, he said, and we can also keep an eye on you. He pointed over his shoulder at the camera, which now sported a glowing light. I nodded at him. Now there are a few things we need to go over before you sleep, he said. You will be dreaming more deeply than you ever have before, but you will always remain somewhat aware of the fact that you are dreaming. This allows you some measure of control over the dream itself. You can choose to be a passive observer in the dream, or you can be an active participant. It is your choice. But keep in mind that just like regular dreams, not everything will always make sense. I call this dream logic. Most of the time you can just ignore it, or even will it to go away if you want. But if something disturbing happens, something that upsets you and you want to exit the dream, you need a safe word. It's a word of your choosing that will end the dream immediately and break the sedation. I furrowed my brow at him. It's nothing to worry about, trust me, he said, patting the back of my hand. You're going to be under fairly heavy sedation, and in the rare instance that your dream takes a turn that you don't care for, I just want to create an exit door for you. Blackbird, I said. Blackbird? He repeated. It's what my dad calls me, I said, since I was little, because of my black hair. Blackbird. I've been meaning to ask you how your father is, he responded, beginning to mess with some of the dials on the console. Any progress with communication? Not really, I said. He still isn't the same since losing mom. He's very distant, but I don't see him much. He works all the time. I wish he would retire. Well, Blackbird it is, the doctor said, and I wondered for a moment if he had even been listening to me. If you want to end the dream, just say Blackbird, and you'll be safely awake again in this room. Now, let me see your forearm. I obediently pulled my left arm out from under the covers. There was a sudden sharp prick, and I inhaled quickly through my teeth. Hush now, Dr. Masterson said, smiling down at me. It will help you sleep. I nodded again, and my head felt incredibly heavy, as did my eyelids. Just relax, he said. He waved his hand in a slow circular motion above my face. Something silver, perhaps a coin of some sort, dangled from a thin chain that wrapped once around his middle finger, once around his hand, 
and then disappeared into his sleeve. It caught the faint light from the hallway and reflected strange colors into my eyes. Sleep and dream, Molly, he said soothingly. Your safe word is Blackbird. Sleep and dream. Now tell me, what would you like to dream about? My mother, I said, the words coming out in a mumble. Dream about your mother, Molly. Your safe word is Blackbird. Dream about your mother. Sleep and dream. Dr. Masterson repeated the words, his hand continuing to move in a slow circular motion above my head, the disc of silver dangling and reflecting light, and just as my eyes fell closed, a man, his features hidden in shadow, entered the room behind him. I found myself seated on the front step of a house. I was wearing a polka dot dress with white lace along the hemline. My knees were chubby, one of them adorned with a band-aid barely covering a nasty scrape, the bright light of the spring sun illuminating the fine hairs on my legs. I looked at my hands, small and soft, with short fingers devoid of scars, nails adorned with a cheap and flaking glittery polish. The yard before me was framed by a white picket fence, and I giggled as a black and white puppy raced across the front yard in pursuit of a large rubber ball, tripping over his own feet and tumbling over. I looked beyond the puppy to the gate at the end of the sidewalk, and there I saw my mother. She was young, mid to late twenties at most, her skin smooth and dark from the sun. She was walking toward me humming as she shuffled through the handful of mail she had just retrieved from the mailbox. She was wearing a small white t-shirt and tight jeans, and looked more trim and healthy than I had remembered her ever being, and for a moment I was confused by her youth and beauty, and suddenly a tree in the corner of the yard bent as if made of rubber, startling me. Dream logic, I thought, and blinked my eyes hard. The tree stood upright again. My mother sat beside me on the front step and rested the stack of mail on her lap. "'What you doing, baby doll?' she asked. I smiled up at her. "'That puppy is silly,' I said. She laughed. "'That puppy is silly,' she agreed. Then she curled up her eyebrows in exaggerated confusion. "'Whose puppy is that anyway?' "'It's our puppy, mommy,' I exclaimed, slapping her lightly on the arm." Okay, she chuckled, if you say so. She leaned sideways into me, pushing me gently, playfully threatening to topple me over. Say, do you want to sing a song? Yes, I said. What do you want to sing? She asked. Hush, little baby, I said. She held my hand, and together we sang, a gentle spring breeze playing with our hair and carrying our notes out into the neighborhood. The sky was cloudless, the puppy ran tirelessly through the yard, and across the street, hidden mostly in shadow, a man watched and listened as we sang. The next morning, I was dressed and seated in Dr. Masterson's office again, holding a hot mug of coffee he had generously poured for me. He was studying a chart in his lap. I yawned hard, the effects of whatever cocktail I had been given still lingering in my muscles which were heavy with exhaustion. By all external accounts, the night went well, he said, flipping over a paper. 
You slept for a solid nine hours. All of your vitals remained well within healthy parameters, and you barely moved. So that's all good. But now you tell me, how did last night go? Excellent, I said, smiling. Perfect. I took a sip of coffee and then set the mug down. I rubbed one thumb against the raised scars in my left hand, sleepy but excited. And you dreamed about your mother? Yes, I said. I was a kid again. I wasn't expecting that. And she was young too. It was wonderful. It really was like being with her again. Same time next week? He asked. Dr. Masterson gave me a key card. He explained that it would grant me access to his office building on the nights of my appointments, which meant it would no longer be necessary for Ileana to be there to let me in. The following Thursday evening, I walked across the dark parking lot, empty, save for my car and one other, entered the building, and took the elevator down. Dr. Masterson had instructed me to use a different room for this dream session, one that was located next door to the one I'd used the week before. It was identical to the first one, save for the picture on the wall, this one of an idyllic kitchen scene that would have made Norman Rockwell proud. I had already changed clothes and slipped under the covers when Dr. Masterson knocked lightly and entered the room, pushing the small metal cart in front of him. I sat up and took the cup he extended to me, drinking its contents, and then offered my left arm to the needle in his hand. Tell me again what your safe word is, Molly, he said, as he attached suction cups to my temples. Blackbird, I said, lying down. Relax he said, extending his hand until it hovered inches above my face, the silver coin dangling from a chain wrapped around his finger. I tried to make out the details of the engraving upon it, but in the dim light of the room, I could decipher nothing. What would you like to dream about, Molly? he asked. My mom, I whispered. Dream about your mother, Molly. Your safe word is blackbird. Dream about your mother, sleep, and dream. As sleep overtook me, I looked beyond Dr. Masterson to the door of the room behind him, mostly blocked by his shoulder. A man lingered in the hallway. Who is that? I mumbled, and for the briefest of moments I felt myself being alarmed. Sleep now, he said. I found myself seated at a kitchen table. The room was unlike any room of any house I had ever lived in, and yet at the same time I felt like I was at home. There was a steaming bowl of oatmeal in front of me, smelling sweet with brown sugar and blueberries. My mother was standing at the stove, stirring the contents of a large pot, her back toward me. "'Good morning, Mom,' I said. "'Good morning, baby doll,' she replied, not turning. "'Did you sleep well?' The best, I said. I realized my voice wasn't as small and childlike as it had been in the previous dream. I looked down at my hands. The fingers were longer, as were the nails, which were polished and shining. I was now a teenager, and my hands were devoid of scars. How did you sleep? I asked her. She turned to me, a puzzled look on her pretty face. She too was older than she had been in the last dream, mid-thirties, the age she was during my early teenage years. It's funny, she said, 
I had this dream. I mean, I remember dreaming. But now I can't remember anything about it. She shook her head and dismissed the thought. Dreams are funny that way, I said. They can be, she responded. Eat your oatmeal. You'll be late for school. I raised the spoon from the bowl in front of me, its contents steaming and black like tar. Why is my oatmeal black? I asked, chuckling. What? My mom responded, looking at the spoon. Dream logic, I thought, and blinked, and immediately the oatmeal returned to normal. Never mind, I said, devouring the spoonful. Mom returned to stirring the pot. Hey mom, I have an idea, I said. What's that, she asked. How about I ditch school today and we go to the mall? Oh Molly, she chastised. Oh come on, I pleaded, getting up from my chair and walking over to the stove. We haven't done a mom and Molly day in forever. We could shop, get lunch at some greasy spoon, complete with onion rings and strawberry milkshakes, and go to the matinee. Your dad would kill me she said, but even as she spoke, I could tell she was considering it. Please, I said, pulling on her arm. She laughed and smiled at me, and for the briefest of moments she was so vibrant and alive that I felt a terrible sinking feeling in my chest, reality beginning to encroach upon the dream, a small voice in the back of my head reminding me that, no, she's not alive, she's dead now and suddenly the floor began to shake. I felt myself stumbling sideways, but my mom caught my arm and held me upright. Did you feel that? She asked. I threw my arms around her and hugged her tightly. Don't wake up, I thought. Don't wake up, don't wake up, don't wake up. Okay, okay, she said, laughing and pushing me away gently. Get your coat. We'll have a mom and Molly day, just don't tell your father. Dr. Masterson, I said. I was seated in his office the next morning, my knees pulled up to my chin, watching him as he studied my chart. I hadn't sat like that since I was a teenager, some ten or so years ago, but the dream had left me feeling incredibly childlike again for the first time in some time. I had just finished telling him the details of my dream, which it ended up being longer and more vivid than the first. Hmm? He responded. Did someone come into the room last night? I asked him. Right before I fell asleep, I thought I saw someone outside the room. No, of course not, he said, not looking up from his clipboard. There was no one else here except me. A week later, night number three. Tell me again where your safe word is, Molly, Dr. Masterson said. Blackbird, I responded, studying the painting on the wall to my left, a beautiful picture of a busy playground. That's a different picture than last time. Last time was a kitchen. The pictures are different in each therapy room, he said. That is intentional. The pictures aid the patient in filling in the details of the dream while also suggesting some variety. If you found yourself in the same setting with every dream, you might more easily recognize that you are dreaming, than wake up involuntarily. Now, relax. Tell me, what would you like to dream about? My mom, I said. 
For a brief moment, I tried to resist the sleep-inducing cocktail that was coursing through my body. I fought it long enough to catch the slightest of details in the coin that Dr. Masterson dangled in front of me. It was a symbol, something that looked vaguely Greek in origin, but also a little like animal horns. Dream about your mother, Molly, said Dr. Masterson. Dream about your mother. Sleep and dream. He repeated these words over and over again as I drifted off to sleep. And then, just as reality faded into a dream, his words changed into something foreign, a language I had never heard before. It sounded almost like an incantation. I was seated on a park bench. My mother was beside me. We both had bag lunches in our laps. It was fall, and as children ran and played in front of us, there was the pleasant sound of dead leaves being crushed under sneakers. I was wearing a suede jacket that was soft and warm, a favorite of mine when I was in college that I had long forgotten about ever owning. My mother took a bite of her sandwich, watching children run and play in front of us, smiling but obviously lost in thought. I was an adult now, early 20s. My mother was in her 40s. We were not much younger than we had been when we were in the accident. How's dad? I asked. He's good, she said. Working too much, of course, but good. I wish he could have joined us, I said. And for a moment, I entertained the thought of wishing him there. Mom didn't respond. My cell phone buzzed in my pocket. I pulled it out, silenced it, and put it back. You and that phone, Mom said, staring out over the playground. A few moments passed with nothing but the sound of squealing children and the occasional scolding duck. What are you thinking about, Mom? She chewed slowly, not answering. Finally, she swallowed and said, It's a gorgeous day. Then a tiny tear ran down her cheek. Mom, what's wrong? She put down her sandwich and shook her head. I'm not sure, she said, sniffling. She brushed crumbs off her fingers. Honestly, sometimes I think I'm losing my mind. What do you mean? I asked. A rubber ball bounced against my shoe. I leaned over to pick it up, then handed it to a smiling child who had run over to me to retrieve it. It's like... She paused, thinking, watching the child run away. I remember spending time with you. We've been spending a lot of time together lately, and it's wonderful, but... I have a hard time remembering anything else but that. You have no other memories? I asked her. She shook her head slowly in response. I turned on the bench to face her more directly. Do you remember marrying Dad, or me being born, or moving to Shreveport? Yes, yes, she said emphatically. I do remember all of those things, now that you mention them, but I have such a hard time remembering much of anything else at all. What is the last thing you do remember? I asked her. She looked out over the playground, thinking. A rubber ball bounced against my shoe. I leaned over to pick it up, then handed it to a smiling child who had run over to me to retrieve it. 
Dream logic, I thought, as the child ran away. In the distance, beyond the play equipment that was swarming with colorfully dressed children, a man sat alone in the shadow of a tree facing us. I remember going to the mall with you, shopping, onion rings and a matinee, stirring oatmeal in the kitchen, singing Hush Little Baby on the front step, a black and white puppy. Her voice trailed off. I shivered. Anything else? I asked her. A terrible loud sound, like metal being crushed, glass shattering, screaming, and pain. She took a deep breath, then faced me. Molly, why did you bring me back? A rubber ball bounced against my shoe. I leaned over to pick it up and handed it to a child whose face was covered with blood, her hair matted and dark against her scalp. I sat in stunned silence, and my mother began to scream, grabbing my arm and shaking me. I tried to pull away from her, but her grip was too tight. She stared at me, her eyes wide with fear, and her face drained of all color. Blackbird, I said. How did last night go? asked Dr. Masterson. Not well, I said. You woke up with a safe word, he responded. You saw that? I asked. On camera, yes, he said. You actually spoke it out loud. I dreamed that my mom was losing her memory, I said. And then she started talking about the car accident. Dr. Masterson made a note. Did you try to change the course of the dream? He asked. You do have some control over what happens. I was too frightened, I said. I didn't even think of it. I just wanted it to end. If you think the dreams are proving to be less than therapeutic, perhaps we should take a break from them? No, I said quickly. I don't want to do that. It was just last night. The first two were good. Maybe I can make the next one good too. That's entirely your decision, he said. Dr. Masterson, can I ask you something? Yes, of course, he responded, finally looking up from his notes. The dream therapy. I know you use drugs on me, probably several, and hypnosis, but is there more to it than that? Like what? he asked. Like, I don't know. Something spiritual? I didn't want to use the words voodoo or occult because they would make me sound silly and paranoid, but they were the only words coming to mind. That coin you use, it has a strange symbol on it, and it sounded like you were speaking in a foreign language before I fell asleep. He chuckled and shook his head. Dream logic, he said. You were falling asleep and confused the dream for real life. My methods are completely proprietary, but I can assure you, the procedure is purely medical. Toward the end of my dream, my mom asked me why I had brought her back, I said. Dr. Masterson's mouth fell open just slightly before he caught himself and shut his lips tight again. He cleared his throat, then made an act of shuffling the papers on his lap. He smiled at me. 
Molly, that was simply the real world encroaching upon your dreams, I assure you. Your mother exists now only in your dreams and in your memory. That is all. But I will also remind you that if I begin to suspect that you are having a hard time differentiating between the dream therapy sessions and real life, I can stop them at any point that I deem necessary. No, I said, putting up my hands quickly. No, I don't want to stop. I'll just try better next time to control it. Make it nice like it was the first two times. The fourth dream began with me behind the wheel of a car. I was driving down an open highway. The windows were down, hot summer wind whipping through my hair. Pop music was blasting from the radio. I looked over at my mom, seated beside me. She was singing along to the song, smiling, one hand out the window, surfing the wind. "'Where are we headed?' she yelled over the music. "'Anywhere you want to go,' I responded, laughing. "'Mom and Molly vacation time.' "'Hawaii?' she yelled, and we both laughed. She bopped along to the music and pushed her sunglasses up against her brow. My cell phone buzzed from the cup holder beside me. I picked it up and looked at the screen, but it was blank. "'Eyes on the road, kiddo,' Mom scolded. I put the cell phone back and blew a raspberry at her. "'I'm thirty years old, Mom, not a kiddo.' "'You'll always be my kiddo,' she said. "'Keep your eyes on the road.' "'Well, I hope you're ready to swim,' I said, changing the subject. "'It'll be an underwater drive to Hawaii.' Trees whipped by in a blur as we sped along. "'Didn't Dad want to come?' I asked. "'He's working.' She said so quietly that I barely heard her over the music. She reached forward and turned off the radio, the smile falling from her face. On second thought, I've changed my mind about Hawaii. There's nothing but darkness there. What? I said. It's nothing but darkness there, Molly. There's you, and there's me, and then there's darkness. Even though the windows were still down... The wind suddenly ceased and everything was silent. I couldn't even hear the car's engine running as we sped down the road. What are you talking about? I said. Why did you bring me back? She asked. I closed my eyes, gripping the steering wheel tight, my knuckles widening. Control the dream, I thought. Control the dream. Happy thoughts. I don't remember anything, Molly, she said. It was quiet for a while, like sleeping. It was peaceful. There was no pain. And then suddenly we were together again. It was wonderful to see you. It was like reliving my happiest memories. She began to cry. The road in front of us cracked loudly, and the car shook as we ran over the small fissure. But then... When we're not together, there's nothing but darkness, Molly. It's like being in this huge room with no walls and no light, all alone. And it feels like an eternity passes. And no one will answer me when I scream. Days go by, it seems. Months, even. Nothing but being alone in complete darkness and silence. She began pulling at her hair and sobbing. Why did you bring me back? She screamed. Why didn't you let me be? 
Why didn't you just let me rest? The car swerved, and for a moment, I almost lost control of it. Calm down, Mom, I said, my mind racing. Control the dream, I thought, closing my eyes. Picture a beach with palm trees and a sunset, the sound of seagulls, warm sand under our feet. Picture paradise. My mom grabbed my arm, and the car swerved again. Don't wake up, she said. If you wake up, I'll be in the darkness again, Molly. Don't make me go back to the darkness again. Please, stay with me. I jerked my arm away from her. Let go, I yelled. She stared at me, panic-stricken, her eyes wide and pleading. What happened next occurred in a slow instant. I pulled my eyes away from my mother's manic gaze and saw, reflected in the rearview mirror, a man sitting in the back seat looking into my eyes. I screamed. Then I saw a telephone pole, sickeningly large as it tore through the hood of the car, and I saw my mother careening forward and through the windshield. The bones in my hands shattered as I involuntarily punched the dashboard, and before my head hit the steering wheel, I screamed, Blackbird. I rocked myself gently in the leather chair in Dr. Masterson's office, my knees tucked up under my chin again. I was crying. I don't want to do it again, I said. I can't control the dream anymore, and it's too upsetting. I dream that my mom thinks that I've somehow brought her back from the dead, but in between each dream she says she's lost in some kind of limbo. It's a nightmare. Molly, he said. I don't want to risk having another dream like that, I said, sniffling, and I wiped my nose with the back of my hand, smearing the tears on my cheeks with my palms. I can't stand it. It's worse than not having her here anymore. The idea that her soul is lost in darkness between each dream. Molly, he said again. I looked up. Through my tear-filled eyes, I saw, seated across from me, my father. I blinked. He too was crying. Dad, I said, what are you doing here? There's something I need to say to you, Molly, he said. He got up from the chair and knelt in front of me, taking my hands in his. He gazed at me with his warm, loving eyes. Why are you here, I said. I wanted to tell you that I forgive you, he said. Those aren't easy words for me to say, but I know that I need to say them. I forgive you, Molly. Forgive me for what? I asked. For the accident, he said. For taking your mother away from me. For the longest time, I resented you for that, but I know you didn't mean to. It was so stupid, but it wasn't on purpose. How many times had I told you not to mess with your cell phone when driving? I looked into his eyes, lost for words. But I've been seeing the really good therapist, Dr. Masterson. He convinced me that the pathway to healing was forgiveness. I needed to forgive you, not just for taking your mom away from me, but for taking you away from me too. It took me a while, but 
I'm finally ready to let it all go, Molly. The accident was my fault? I asked him, stunned, my mind racing, digging for a memory that was eluding me. It's been really nice, he said, reaching up and touching my cheek. Watching you and your mom again, it brought back so many wonderful memories. It was very healing, but the dreams have started to become upsetting, so it's time for me to get back to real life again, baby doll. It's time for me to let you both go for good. Still kneeling, he took both of my hands in his again and raised them to his lips, kissing them. I stared down at him, my heart pounding, not fully comprehending. Tears fell from his cheeks. One of them splashed against my right hand. I looked at it and saw that my skin was flawless, without blemish, and free of scars. Goodbye, my baby girl, he said, dropping my hands and standing up. Wait, Dad, I said beginning to rise, panic filling my chest. I reached out toward him. Don't say it. Hush now, he said, backing away from me. Hush now, Blackbird. And suddenly, everything was darkness. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed tonight's story. If you did, make sure to check out more of the author's work in the episode description and go to youtube.com slash clancypasta to hear new episodes first. And if you'd like your story featured in an episode, feel free to email it to clancypastastories at gmail.com. You can always get your creepy cool merch at teespring.com slash stores slash clancypasta store. And I hope you all have a great night. Cheers. <laughs>